This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our second reading of scripture is taken from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 16 through 26, and then verses 31 through 33. Let us listen to the reading of God's holy word. The writer of Lamentation says, He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, gone is my glory and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. For the Lord will not reject forever. Although he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve anyone. Let's bow for prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word in Romans and Lamentations. We pray that you would open our hearts to what you have for us this morning. And so we are grateful and thankful for this opportunity to be together and to hear and to know and to do for you. And so we are grateful and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Debbie and I recently watched part of a series, television series on CNN on the life of Abraham Lincoln. I don't know if any of you have seen any of those episodes. Uh, The show is titled Lincoln, Divided We Stand. And the show traces, and I'm quoting now from the, the official trailer for it, the remarkable and unexpected story of Abraham Lincoln by delving into his complicated inner life, seamlessly interweaving his tragic personal life with his history-making political career, unquote. Now, of course, Debbie and I already knew something about Lincoln, who doesn't, about his political career and how he is considered to be one of our greatest presidents, although we were reminded again in the series that at the time he was not considered to be that great of a president. But what we had forgotten or maybe never knew was how difficult his personal life was. In his early years, you may remember, he grew up in a a dirt log cabin, dirt poor, in a small log cabin in the woods of Kentucky with an emotionally distant and some believe abusive father. He lost several important people in his early life. His beloved mother died when he was about nine years old from an illness. His sister, Sarah, whom he deeply admired, died in childbirth, and also the the child died as well. 
And his first real girlfriend, the, the woman he wanted to marry, also died from an illness. And the narrator of the story commented that young, young Lincoln lost so many women in his life, in his young life, that he loved, that he struggled making commitments to women because he feared that they would abandon him. It's not that, uh, you know, uh, that unusual. You might feel that, especially when you lost that many people close to you. And of course, later on, he lost two sons, one of them while he was living in the White House. And as we know, that was more common in those days. But the narrator went on to say that all of those losses contributed to the grief and the depression that settled over Lincoln and stayed with him, apparently, the rest of his life. Now, I usually don't think of Lincoln as someone who struggled so much with depression, but apparently he did. And as I reflected on this, on the significance of the grief that Lincoln experienced, including obviously the burden, the heavy burden of the Civil War, it made me think of so many people today who also suffer from grief and depression and loss in so many ways through racial and social injustice, economic hardships, illness and disease, through loneliness and isolation, loss of loved ones, and, and probably especially through this last year that we've been involved in the pandemic. Could be that some of you here on this Zoom worship this morning are feeling some of that way as well. The writer of Lamentations that we read from this morning was certainly no stranger to grief and depression and loss. We don't know actually who it was who wrote Lamentations. Traditionally, this book has been attributed to the prophet Jeremiah that we've been looking at in the last few weeks. Um, the themes and context of the book certainly tie in with Jeremiah's time. It was, and if it was not written by Jeremiah himself, then certainly someone who was a close contemporary of Jeremiah, who witnessed, as Jeremiah did, the violent destruction of Jerusalem and the heart-wrenching exile of the people out of their land. The writer of Lamentations struggles with and laments the loss of this great city and these people. And this loss occurred primarily, as we've been seeing over the weeks, because of the people's own disobedience and sins. The prophets had said to the people that they need to obey God and love God and not worship idols and not do other things. And yet so often they didn't follow the Lord and obey him. They did not listen. In this dire situation, the writer of Lamentations is reminded of three important truths about God that comforted him, that sustained him through these dark days that he experienced. Three things that were important for him to do when he didn't know what to do with his grief and his sorrow and his suffering. Three things that I think are important also for us to know and to do when we are in similar situations. And so I wanna take a few moments now and look at those three things. First of all, the writer of Lamentations was reminded that in the midst of his heartache 
and grief at the situation he was in, what he needed to do when he didn't know what to do was to realize that God's love is always near him. It is never far away. Look again at what he says in verses 21 and 22. He says, but this I call to mind, this I remember, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In the midst of all these experience, the writer of Lamentations is able to make that great statement. We'll be singing that song during the offertory that's come from Lamentations 3. The writer of Lamentations called to mind, and he reminds us that when troubles come, whatever they might be, and we don't know what to do about it, we can always count on God's love. We are never alone in our struggle. God's love is present even when it is not always immediately obvious or apparent to us. Sometimes we don't see it, especially when we're in the situation. And yet the writer of Lamentations assures us that we can have that confidence. Some of us in the congregation have been participating in the Alpha program that um, Greg mentioned earlier at uh, Old South. And if you haven't been involved in it, you're st still not too late. You could jump in. It's really worthwhile. In one of the segments, the host of Alpha series, the Alpha series, Nikki Gumbel, made this statement. Uh, and I, I really caught my attention when I heard it. He said, God loves you more than a parent loves a child. We are loved more than any parent loves his children. And after we were done, I got to thinking about that statement. And I think it really is true. Most parents would literally give their lives for their children. I know we would have and still would uh, as our kids were growing up. We that much. Now, it's true there are times when our love for our children can be challenged, right? My oldest son and his wife and two kids recently spent a week at Disney World in Florida. He has a five-year-old daughter uh, and a two-year-old son. And he loves his kids, absolutely loves his kids. But he reminded us in a text he sent us from Florida one day uh, when they'd had a long day, he, he wrote this, he said, Rory, his two-year-old, has been a handful, but he has been sleeping well at night. And I translated has been a handful as parents speak for, we are not sure it was really a good idea to bring Rory along to Disney World at this young age of two. There are times when loving our children can be challenging. But the point I wanna make this morning is simply this. Most parents love their children so much that it is difficult to imagine there could be any greater love. And yet the writer of Lamentations reminds us that there is. He says, God's steadfast love for us, which is new every morning. What a great image. It's new every morning, every day. And it never comes to an end, is a greater love than any human love. 
in the passage Greg read just a few moments ago from Romans 5, the Apostle Paul says this, but God proves his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. Christ loved us, died for us, even when we didn't deserve it. That is how deep his love is for you and for me. In his book, The Shack, author Paul Young tells the story of a Christian guy named Mac who has a love-hate relationship with God, kind of, a, kind of this ambiguous sort of relationship with God. And one week, Mac, if you know the story, one week Mac takes three of his children on a camping trip. And during that camping trip, one of his daughters disappears uh, from the campsite. And it's later discovered that she has been murdered by a serial murder, murderer. And the book revolves around Mac's great sadness and the way God helps Mac cope with this painful period in his life. And when the book came out several years ago, it was a bit controversial, but it contains one of my favorite lines. And if you've been around me much, you probably heard me say this line, but it was a line that really stuck in my brain uh, at the time I heard it. In the book, Jesus tells Mac that in spite of his great sadness, and it was a great sadness indeed, as, as any of us could imagine if that had happened to us. He said, the important thing is that Mac learn to live loved. Mac needs to recognize that God loves him with a love that he can't even begin to imagine, even in that very difficult situation. Now, I think this line, learning to live loved, resonated with me so much because I read this book at a time in my life when I was struggling to come to grips with the strained relationship I had with my dad growing up and how difficult it was for me at times to feel I was deeply loved. So that, that line, learning to live love, just, wow, I thought that's really what we need to do. As the writer of Lamentations grieves over the violent destruction of his beloved Jerusalem and the cruel deportation of the people to Babylonia, he is reminded that in spite of all of that, God loves his people, he's with them, and ultimately has a plan and purpose for them. How about you? Do you struggle at times to believe God really loves you? Do you know deep down in the recesses of your soul that even when things seem to be crumbling around you, God's love for you never ceases. It never goes away. It never comes to an end. Are you learning to live loved by God? I'll be honest with you. That's a lesson I'm having to work with every day in my life, learning to live loved. And I think so many of us struggle with that. Secondly, the writer of Lamentations was reminded that what we need to do when we don't know what to do is not only to learn to live loved by God, but also to wait upon him. Look again at what he says in verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait on him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good for one to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. 
What does it mean for us to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord? Well, I suppose it could mean several things, but certainly at least I think it means that in the midst of trials and sufferings, our task above everything else is to seek God and to wait on God. In verse 33, the writer of Lamentations remind us, reminds us that God does not willingly afflict, afflict or grieve anyone. But when grief and loss does happen, God invites us to put our trust and our hope in him. Now, I know from personal experience that it is so easy, this is so easy to say, and yet sometimes so very difficult to do, especially for me when I'm in a difficult or trying situation. I know I need to wait on God. But so often in my life, I quickly abandon that waiting on him, and I instead wait on my own abilities, my own resources, my own effort to make things happen. I like to think that I'm patient, but in reality, I have a difficult time waiting for God to act. I often run ahead of God and do what I want to do and then ask God to bless it. Anybody out there like that? Can I get a witness? I see those hands. Some of you may have seen the headline in the Boston Globe on February 26th. We actually get the Globe online here. And it read, state vaccination sites hit more snags. Now, lots of states have been having problems with uh, vaccinating and, and getting that done in a timely manner. But the writer of the article wrote this. He said, for the second week in a row, thousands of Massachusetts residents logged onto computers and smartphones in search of a COVID-19 vaccination shot only to come away frustrated and no closer to their goal. Again, that's been happening in, in a lot of places. But apparently, according to the article, again, you probably saw it, apparently some people, when they called to sign in for a shot, were being put on hold, they called and put on hold, and told that their estimated wait time was 50,475 minutes. 50,475 minutes, you probably saw that. I was with somebody yesterday, and I said, I don't know how many, how much time that is, but it sounds like a lot of time to me. And he quickly in his head did a calculation and he said, that's 31 days on hold. What the writer of Lamentations reminds us is how important it is that we learn to wait on God, on God's timing, God's agenda, God's provision, God's direction, that we learn to trust even trust God, even when it looks like God is not doing anything or doesn't care. James Brown tells the story of when he was learning to fly an airplane. And his instructor told him to put the plane in a steep and extended dive. Now, I think if I'd been there, I'd been thinking, uh, maybe I don't want to do this, but steep and extended dive. And um, he describes Brown described his experience this way. He said, I was totally unprepared for what was about to happen. After a brief time, the engine stalled, he goes on to say, and the plane began to plunge out of control. It soon became evident that the instructor was not going to help me at all. After a few seconds, which seemed like eternity, my mind began to function again. I'm thinking to myself, that's a good, good thing. I quickly corrected the situation, he said. 
And then he went on to say this. He said, immediately, I turned to the instructor and began to vent my fearful frustrations on him. But he very calmly said to me, there is no position you can get this airplane into that I cannot get you out of. If you want to learn to fly, go up there and do it again. Now, either this plane, this uh, instructor was supremely confident or a little bit cocky, I don't know. There's no situation you can get this plane into that I cannot get you out of. Brown finished by saying this. He said, at that moment, God seemed to be saying to me, remember this, as you serve me, there is no situation you can get yourself into that I cannot get you out of. If you trust me, you will be all right. When we wait on God, when we trust that God is in control of our world and in our lives, we can be confident that nothing will happen that God does not know about or that he cannot get us out of. Lamentations 3, 25 and 26, the writer says, the Lord is good to those who wait on him. How about you? How patient are you? Are you learning to wait on God, especially in difficult and trying situations? Third and finally, the writer of Lamentations reminds us that what we need to do when we don't know what to do is not only to learn to live loved and to seek him and to wait on him, but also to put our hope in him. Look again at what he says in verse 24. He says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. He uses the word hope at least two times in this passage. And whatever else hope means, I think it means that if we truly know we are loved by God and are seeking him and waiting on him, then no matter what happens, God will be enough for us. He will be our portion. And we can be people of hope. Again, in the passage Greg read a few moments ago from Romans 5, this great well-known passage, Paul says, he reminds us that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. While I was doing some preliminary work for this sermon a couple of weeks ago, um, we had just passed the milestone of 500,000 Americans who had died from COVID-19. And as you may remember, um, to mark this milestone, President Biden addressed the nation and they lit 500 candles on the White House lawn to symbolize those 500,000 people. And the Marine Corps band played Amazing Grace. And in his remarks, uh, Biden said this, President Biden said this, he said, we have to resist viewing each life as a statistic or a blur. We have to resist becoming numb to the sorrow. I know what it's like to not be there when it happens. 
I know what it's like when you are there holding their hands, the survivor's remorse, the anger, the questions of faith in your soul. I know it's hard. I remember the birthdays, the anniversaries, the holidays without them, and the everyday things, the small things, the tiny things that you miss the most. And he went on to conclude by saying this, I promise you the day will come when the memory of the loved one you lost will bring a smile to your lips before a tear to your eye. It will come, I promise you. Now, as you probably know, Biden himself has lost several family members over the years, including his wife and daughter who died in a terrible automobile accident close to their home. And most recently, he lost a son to brain cancer. And what Biden, I think, was trying to give the grieving nation, I believe, was a sense of hope. Not, not a false hope, but a hope born out of his own personal grief and suffering and experience. But the death of those 500,000 people, now I think it's closer to 530,000, whatever the number, the deaths of the people in the pandemic remind him of. And the destruction of Jerusalem and the deportation of the people reminded the writer of Lamentations of, is that what we need to do when we don't know what to do, especially in difficult situations, which we all encounter, is to have hope, is to put our hope in God. Do you have that kind of hope this morning? More than anything else, the writer of Lamentations remind us, reminds us that God's people are first and foremost to be people of hope, not a hope based on our own abilities or on wishful thinking, but on the sure presence and promises of God himself. Amen. going to ask now, Greg has a, a response for us. Um, so go ahead, Greg. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for that wonderful message today. If you know anything about me, you know that I love Shaw's. Since we moved to Massachusetts, it's my go-to activity each day. I come home from work, grab the day's necessities, wander the aisles, greet the meat guy, say hi to Katie, the manager, Last March, for about two weeks though, I began adding just a bit more to my shopping trip each day, slowly building my larder. I turned on my chest freezer. In the basement, I added a frozen pizza occasionally or some chicken thighs. I began putting extra uh, filled grocery bags in our, in our extra bedroom. I'm usually one who buys toilet paper when we hit the you know, code red emergency level. And I was watching the news and realized I need to put a few extra rolls away, probably under the sink. And I slowly watched the shelves of staples and the freezer section go truly bare. Pasta, packs of tuna, potatoes made their way out the door. Exactly a year ago, I was part of the conversation at Gordon College where we were trying to decide whether students should come back or not from their spring break, whether it was home or mission trips, should they come back to campus? I was supportive of the decision not to come back, but I was worried it would be viewed as an overreaction 
that's laughable now, isn't it? An overreaction to not going back to campus at the start of a pandemic. At dinner that night, I told Henry and Max, this is gonna be severe. They saw their friends and Henry's newly anointed girlfriend for the last time before the shutdown. I warned them they needed to prepare themselves. This is gonna be bad, I said. This might even last a month. A month, I told them, four weeks is all I could muster in my vision about the seriousness and scope of the tsunami that was COVID-19. And then the pandemic did hit us like a tsunami. We could see it from a distance and we could hear it. We could see it slowly building toward us, you know, slow at first and then overwhelming in its power and magnitude. Now, 10, years, or 10, 10 months later in January, after the country closed due to the pandemic, my shoulders were notably heavy that day. I felt the weight of the world on me. I was walking Mocha, our dog, uh, through the empty baseball fields here in West Newberry, trying to ignore the feeling of loss that pervaded my vision that day. I was sick of teaching on Zoom. Students struggled, students not returning to Gordon, lost opportunities, lost events, weight gain, a lost year for uh, a lost senior year for Henry, lost freshman year for Max, the challenge of dropping Henry at Virginia Tech and not seeing him begin his new adventure. Beth had some severe leg pain, deaths, you know, ridiculous national debates about public health and masks, insurrection at the Capitol. And then I realized it was January 18th, my dad's birthday. It was exactly, exactly to that day, one year ago, that we gathered to celebrate his 85th birthday in Michigan. And other than Beth and the boys, it's a year since I had seen any member of my family. And it was just one loss and a long series of losses, one more, one more isolation, and it broke me. And I sat in anguish on the bleachers at Bachelor Street Park, and I began to weep. Thankfully, I was alone. Thankfully, it was an empty park. There have been a lot of weird questions. Now, years earlier, I, you know, on my annual trip to Belize with my students for our, my, the class I teach, a young woman was struggling emotionally and physically in the rainforest, trying to express all of the recent events that were dragging her into darkness. And she listed them in a painful, tear-soaked litany. Father lost his job, mother sick, difficulty in classes, friends struggles, boyfriend struggles, grandfather with cancer, other friend struggles, boyfriend breakup, grandmother death. The list just continued. It was brutal. But in what has become almost a punchline in our family to represent the gravity of just one more punch to the gut, she ended her list of personal struggles. And even my pet rabbit died. For her, that was the finality of events that broke her. Now, as a biologist, I can tell you, rabbits die all the time. Like, that's the nature of being a rabbit. But when you mix that in with cancer and job loss and death and struggles, the rabbit was the culmination of pain that she was experiencing. And so it was for me in January with my dad's birthday. Mass debates, leg pain, Virginia Tech drop-offs, loss of loved ones. My metaphorical rabbit died that day. I know I'm not alone in these feelings. I, I know you've had a dark point this pandemic as well. And maybe you've experienced more personal loss. It feels like we're aging twice as fast, doesn't it, as we should. It feels like time is going twice as slow. When is this gonna end, we ask ourselves. Well, I finally composed myself and walked home. 
I knew I needed some guidance. And so I got my Bible app out. I searched this, this hopeful hope in me. I, I searched for the word happiness, thinking I will read a really happy psalm or something. And the scriptures would direct me to something that I could latch on to that day. But instead, what I found, my first search was Jeremiah and Lamentations 3. His litany of disappointment and anger and sadness, it sounded like this. He has made my paths crooked, which is, I love that one. He shot arrows into my vitals. I become a laughing stock. I like this one too. People sing taunt songs at me. My teeth grind on gravel. My soul's bereft of peace. He's put heavy chains on me. He's filled me with bitterness. He saved me with wormwood. And best of all, the, the thing that resulted in my search, I have forgotten what happiness is. And my pet rabbit died. <laughs> These are age old. The frivolousness, the sadness, the isolation. We cry out and we see with anger and disappointment. We, we lament our losses. This is the reality of the pandemic one year later. But thankfully, as Tim shared with us today, the message doesn't end there. We need to read further in that message from Jeremiah. Therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Tim shared those words in our second reading today, and they are so meaningful for us now as much as they were for Jeremiah. These are the words I was searching for. It's what I was missing at the baseball field. What is that hope and what is that steadfast love for us now? I'm thankful that God has been with me during the pandemic. I'm not isolated from him. And the vaccine is truly a modern, a modern miracle. It's, it's from God through our scientists' hands and minds. It gives me hope that we'll see our loved ones again soon and, and we won't see the horrible death rate. I expect to be worshiping with you in person for Easter to celebrate God's love for us. I can't wait for that time. And finally, when we're crushed by this despair from loneliness and pandemic stress to the death of a pet rabbit, in my heart, I know that Jesus Christ died on that cross for us and provides us with everlasting hope and with mercies that never come to an end. And with him, we are learning to live loved by God. And I thank God. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.